Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition to help you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got a Q&A. We got some big things coming up, man. We got a trip. Man, I have a lot more. I think we just talked about this the other day. I was Maybe we were talking about Bubba, and I was like, I don't travel like ever, you know? And then yeah. like now I'm looking at my schedule, and I'm like, actually, I'm traveling quite a bit this year. Probably more so far than I've traveled since having Blakely. Yeah. Which is like, it's, it's weird because it's like exciting because now I can actually do it, you know, because Blakely's of an age where I feel more comfortable leaving. But at the same time, it's also like you get way more homesick, man. Yeah. It's like as soon as it like I'm like on this high hanging out with everybody doing all this stuff and then you lay your head down in the hotel and you're like, fuck, like I'm just alone. I'm not in my bed. Like <laughs> my wife's alone. <laughs> it's yeah. just like depressing and I don't fucking sleep. But I got we're, we're going out to Arizona again. So I just came back from Arizona. We're going to Arizona with team all week, which I'm excited for. Um, and then I have March 1st, 2nd, 3rd. Going out to First Form. Going to hang out at the HQ over there with them, Damn. which I'm stoked for. They just booked my flight yesterday. Literally, like, it just goes to show, like, how well they, like, treat everybody and try to keep, Yeah, you know. I was like, hey, bro, like, I got my flight. Don't worry about it. Just let me know what dates. He's like, nope, March 1st, 3rd. You're not paying for anything. We got your flights, hotel, food. I was like, nah, bro, it's really, it's totally fine. I'll get my flight. I like buying my flight. Doesn't respond to me. And then I get a text from Expedia. Flight's booked. Yeah. It's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> um. Which part of it, like, I love. I, I like, I'm going to be, like, that guy. But ever since, honestly, your bachelor party is the first time I've ever flown first class. Ever. Wow. And I, because I've always been like, I'm not going to pay for that shit. That's ridiculous. But I was like, it's a special occasion. We should fly first class. And we did. And I've flown first class ever since because it's a game changer. Yeah. And especially when you want to get work done. Yeah. Um, outside of your trip, I don't even, like, I don't drink the alcohol or the beer they give you. I don't eat the food they give you. Um, obviously, on your trip, we definitely had a few on the plane. But... I just like the space and I can actually yeah. work. So I got the ticket and I was like, oh, I'm going to be that guy that hits him up and be like, yo, can I upgrade my flight? Because, dude, it's a, from here, I got to fly two hours to Salt Lake City and then an hour layover and then two more hours to St. Louis. Ouch. It's not a short flight, you know, so I don't want to be crammed in the back. Did you, didn't give you the direct work. flight? There is no direct flights. Okay, I just went there. <laughs> I mean, at, for that date, I looked at Delta, Alaska. I was looking last night, dude. There's no direct flights from here to St. Louis for the week of March. I even was like, okay, what if I show up a day early and I tried the day before March 1st and nothing. Huh. So that's weird. I was pissed. Only certain days of the year they fly there. And get this, guess what time my flight is? 5.30 in the morning. Yeah, damn. I didn't even know they started flying that. I guess they oh, fly yeah. 24-7, but <laughs> I've, I've always, like the earliest I'll ever go is 6. Yeah. And that's like, I got to leave my house by like 4, 4.30 a.m. For that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it takes about 30 to 40 minutes You're to get there. You're going 30, 34. Yeah. Fucked. But that's why I'm like, all right, I got to get it first. Totally. Because I'm going to sleep right Did away. You ask him? And then try to work. No, I have, I have a call with him mm. tomorrow, so I'm just going to hit him up. But um, And then in April, going out to Austin for the next level yeah, fitness so coaching. What was it that when you were just at ICFA? IFCA. IFCA. Yeah, like Impact Fitness Coaching Academy. And, and this then, one is next level? Coaching Academy, oh. I believe. Very, very NCAA, similar names. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're friends. <laughs> like, they're, they're, they're super tight. But I'm excited for it because uh, I'll speak. Jordan Syatt speaks. Sam Miller will be speaking there again. Him and Casey. Um, Joelle, who we've had on the podcast, Level 1, she's speaking. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Level 10. Did she, uh, uh, did she speak at IAS? No, no. Um, 
IFCA had a good amount of people, uh, but this this one actually I'm gonna have more of my like actually I don't know because Jordan spoke at this one, Joseph Sheely spoke at this one, Sam Miller spoke at this one, Brad spoke at this one, like a lot of my good friends actually, yeah. and then this one I would say Jordan Syatt is the closest friend I've him and Sam Miller are the closest friend I've speaking. I know Joel just through podcasting and stuff like that, and I don't know the other speakers. Yeah, um, but it'll be good. I don't know. I'm supposed to get on a call with them soon and figure out what I'm talking about. Sick, you know. Yeah. I kind of winged it the last one, yeah. but I'm hoping to do the same. But I know you had a, like a lot of good feedback on that last one, so yeah. maybe you kind of, I mean, I think that helped a lot of people, man. I think that's, like, there's there's different personality types that, like, like when you watch Sam present, he's very analytical and articulate, so, dude, his, he has this presentation, it's, like, very graphed, and he has Data. points, and, yeah, and what he talks about is that yep. realm, whereas I'm more the type that, like, I would rather go up and do a two-hour Q&A and just fucking rant and freestyle it you know what I mean talk about what I know which is kind of what I did but I had some bullet points you know what I mean yeah. but um but it was dope and so I'm excited for that and then we'll see what else pops up totally I'm excited to, it's gonna be a long year man yeah I think uh, right long now opportunity I think with where the team is at and where I'm at with the company I think right now is the year of like outreach you know what I mean that's why it's like what events can I speak at? Where can I go? Who can I visit? Like yeah. just trying to get everywhere and just finally get this brand name everywhere. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, yeah, it, I mean, it's tough when you have a, a little girl, you know, but she'll be fucking four next in two months. Yeah. Cause it's January. So March, beginning of March, wild four years old, dude. Yeah. It's crazy. She acts like she's 14 already. <laughs> <laughs> it's nuts. That'll happen. But, but yeah, so I'm excited for it all, man. It's going to be good. Cool. All right, man. Well, let's uh, start off here, guys. We got a lot of good questions. We are going to start off with one from a uh, Facebook group. It says, uh, it's from Anonymous. They wanted to keep it there. It says, does eating raw veggies provide any benefit over eating cooked veggies? Yes and no. I actually so here, here's the 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 problem with raw veggies is it's much harder to digest, right? Mm. So um, the process of cooking something uh, allows it to be easier to digest and break down. Obviously, you know what I mean. You're you're fucking cooking it. Mm. You know, if it's like think of like a pepper, how much harder, like literally from a density perspective, a harder a bell pepper is before you cook it. So it's harder much. for your body to break down, right? So. The problem is, though, when you cook things, you do cook out some nutrients, right? It's it's just part of it. Like, if you um, – it, it's kind of like – and this is maybe a good analogy, maybe not. If you, like uh, – if you're out in the sun for too long, you're sweating a bunch. Maybe you're really active out in the sun and you're, you're sweating a ton. You're going to be depleting a lot of water-soluble vitamins because you're sweating, you're hot, you're excreting, so detoxification, and you're running water through you because you're drinking water, sweating, peeing, like all that stuff, right? And there's certain vitamins that bind to water. There's certain vitamins that bind to fat. Just like if you lose a bunch of fat, you're more likely to be uh, depleted in fat-soluble vitamins, so you need to supplement them. Totally. Well, that's kind of how I look at cooking. When you cook something, you deplete some of the vitamins in them. Depending on the form of cooking, it you change that, right? So like roasting it or, or searing it, like you're going to cook out more than if you just steamed them or yeah. something. Um, but they're easier to digest. If something is easier to digest, you're more likely to be able to extract and absorb the nutrients inside of that food. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? There might be more nutrient density, micronutrient density in a food that is raw in nature. However, you might not be able to digest it and absorb it as well unless it's cooked. You know, and I've had a lot of people who uh, who just 
eat a lot of produce, a lot of veggies, fruit and stuff like that. And they've had gut issues. And the one thing I did was literally just go, no more raw vegetables, just cook, just cook your vegetables, steam them, do something to make it easier to digest. And that alone created a, an immense relief on bloating, digestive stress, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So sometimes it's that there's other times too, where it's just vegetables in general. I know a lot of people that eat way too many vegetables and they think they have like a gut issue. And I'm like, man, you're eating five, six cups of like cruciferous thick vegetables. It's just a lot of bulk, a lot of fiber, a lot of vegetables, right? Let's cut that in half and switch to things like mushrooms, bell peppers, carrots, spinach, things that are typically really easy to digest, but are still packed with a lot of nutrients and all their gut issues go away. That's really what a FODMAP diet is, right? And FODMAP helps a ton. So um, the answer is is yes and no. It's it's a double-edged sword that there's, there's a time and place for raw uh, vegetables, um, and certain foods are, are going to be better raw. Like for example, fruits are typically really easy to digest raw. You can cook them. I mean, that's where people have like, uh, I mean, you can use them you in cook strawberry. Yeah. You never had like, uh, uh, I don't know if they're called strawberry chips, but like dry, you know, dried mangoes. Yeah. They do the same thing with strawberries. They slice them, you roast them, bake them. It's like, uh, you know, kale chips. Yeah. Kale. I don't, I fucking hate kale Yeah. raw cause it's so rough. But I actually like kale chips. They're good. But strawberry chips are actually decent. That's baked. That's not cooked. Baking is a form of cooking. Okay, yeah. But you know I'm, thinking, I mean? I'm thinking of like steaming broccoli. You don't... Yeah, that's a form of cooking. <laughs> okay. But you, but you can bake broccoli. Broccoli? You can. It's just they usually call it roasting because you, oh. you roast it at a higher temperature. Baking right. is like 325, 350. I think above yeah. that is I like just roasting. don't like... Anyway, keep yeah. going. But that's... I mean, that's technically... Cooking. I don't cook any of my fruit ever, but like you can have dried plantains, dried banana, dried mango, dried. Uh, I mean, those some of those are dehydrated, yes, which is a form of cooking as well. It's. I mean, it's it's basically a, a smoking without the smoke because it's a long form at a low temperature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah without yeah. the smoke, so um, I don't I don't do it. But I'm, my point is, is you can do it with those, and you're probably going to excrete some of the vitamins and minerals out of the fruit. Yeah. However, raw fruit typically isn't hard to break down and digest. Um, Unless you're eating the skin of some things, but yeah, I don't, I, you know, no, it's not, not really a big issue. Um, vegetables is more of that problem, but it's a double-edged sword. I mean, you might be excreting a little bit, but I don't think, in my opinion, I would go with cooked. I think that you're not going to excrete enough of those vitamin minerals to make it an issue. And it's better to protect your digestion because then you're going to absorb other things you eat as well. Um, and I just, I personally think pff, raw vegetables taste gross. I don't like them. They don't taste that much different than raw or cooked. I think so. It depends how you cook them. But when you, I mean, think about it. Like a You're, raw piece yeah. of broccoli or broccoli with olive oil and garlic powder and salt roasted. Much different. Much different. Okay, okay, okay. The only way I'll eat raw vegetables is if it's drenched in hummus. Oh. You don't like hummus? No. Oh, uh, hummus ranch. is... I mean, ranch too. Ranch I mean, is good, but yeah. ranch is obviously... But yeah, you're right. Hummus I, is more healthy, I'm, so it's I easier. mean... Raw broccoli is not the worst thing in the world, but it's way better with something. Yeah. I don't like raw carrots. I don't like raw. <sighs> I don't like any of that. I don't know why. I mean, sometimes I like love them, but I, they're not bad. Anyway, uh, side note. Um, did you see uh, the post? By, this is totally random. Sorry. Did you see the post this morning from your WD client, Jess? I think so. The referee one? Oh, she she sent me a text with oh. it last night. Oh. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah, she looks Dude, night and day difference. Got, Honestly, that picture doesn't do it justice. The picture she sent me wasn't as distorted. Yeah. And it looks wild how much different she looks. Gotcha. That's yeah. a long journey, too. Yeah. I mean, she'd been with me for like two <laughs> years. Two years, yeah. Did it say it in the post? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So like two years, and we had to reverse diet for a while because she wanted to lose weight, and she came to me eating next to nothing. Yeah. 
and have crash dieted a bunch. So we reverse dieted. She probably lost like 10 pounds during the reverse. Like, I mean, 10 pounds over a year, maybe a year and a quarter really isn't that much weight. That's a slow 10 pounds, but she built muscle. She repaired her hormones or metabolism, things like that. And then we got her to a place where we went into a cut this year. And the crazy part is that like, one of her biggest issues was adherence just from a, uh, and we had her on the podcast. Traveling, so we talked bro, about yeah. this traveling, binge eating, craving, stress eating, all those kind of things. But because we took such a long journey, excuse me, and reverse dieted properly, she got rid of all those things. So she texted me last night. It's funny because I wanted to be like, that's disgusting. But, uh, down there, she lived in Florida, and like dried pickles are con- like that's like a thing, or not dried pickles, uh, deep fried pickles. Mm. A lot of people oh, eat those yeah. apparently. And oh. she was like, me and my brother went to eat, and you know, he got a bunch of deep fried pickles, which I usually would eat a bunch of, and I just sat there and I ate my chicken wrap. That was part of the plan, and I was totally fine. I didn't even have feel the need to to dive into them. Number one, I was like, gross. Why would you want to dive in? The pickles are disgusting. <laughs> but two, like that's super dope. You don't even have the thought until afterwards. You go, holy shit! Like I was able to be around shit that I used to like binge on or crave or, yeah. or couldn't help myself. And now it's like nothing. Yeah. And that's what happens when you develop not only the mindset of patience and self-discipline, but also like you understand the end goal. Like when you really, and this is something that I think coaches fail to do that I try to do with my clients a lot is help them identify how they feel and the negative consequences of binging or overeating or things like that. It's not that we can't be flexible and like, Hey, if you can fit a dry pickle in your macros fucking do it, I don't care. But if you eat too many, if you go over your calories next day, how do you feel digestive wise? How do you feel energy wise? How did you sleep? Cause a lot of times when we eat a bunch of junk, we don't sleep as well. We might be sweating out the shit that we ate. We might not train as well the next day. Um, like I said, digestion will be off. And then the guilt of failing or falling off your diet is, is something that's going to just completely crush your motivation to continue. Cause you feel bad. Yeah. Right. So learning how to get over that is such a game changer. And she's done amazing at that, um, as have many of my clients. So super proud of her. And it's, uh, the, the coolest thing I think is, you know, you get to see her results on TV. You know what I mean? Like, um, same with Chad Gable. They just, uh, Chad and Otis just took the belt. Yeah. So they just won a big championship and he's been through a crazy, uh, like underdog story of trying to come up in, in, uh, the industry and with the WWE and everything. And now him and Otis just, just won literally just the other day, um, which is dope. And both of them, are uh, for people listening, both of them and fucking Apollo and now actually Jess, Jess just swapped over to the female version, but Apollo, who is a freak of nature, um, I do his nutrition as well, but all of them are on Bulletproof Bodybuilding and all of them, Chad just texted me this morning about how much he's loving the program. Apollo hit me up the other day. I talk to him every week, obviously, but um, like those programs are like, yeah, they're the shit. I, I mean, so. I spent way more fucking time putting them together, yeah. but the amount of positive feedback I've had about bulletproof bodybuilding is just nuts. Um, so if you guys want to train like the WWE pros, yeah, go check and if it you're out. Wondering, um, it's WWE lady, lady ref Jess. Yep. Yep. So yeah, if you're listening, that is awesome. Jess. Um, all right. Next question is coming from balance McKenna. It says, what is the best thing to do when you are in a rut, whether it be business-wise, health, or even life? I think the way I answered this on my story was really, really brief because this was one where I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to like really give this a lot of attention. So I just said, set a big goal, hire a coach, challenge yourself daily, create a habit tracker. Like that's all I left it at because, and I think that's really ultimately what it is. I, I think a lot of people get in a rut because they don't know they don't have clarity on where they're going. I've even gotten in a rut when I still, I still knew the overall mission of our company, everything, but I got to a point where 
And this is a, it, it's a good problem to have, but I got to a point where I was like, all right, I delegated this. I empowered the team on this. Like I did this. There's, there's only so much I can do. And then I would get to a point where I'm like, I'm kind of bored because I've, I've properly systemized my business. And now I've like have dead time, which I ended up filling with other shit, obviously, but you get to a point, you just kind of sit around. And then after like a couple of weeks of feeling like I was very unproductive and feeling bad for myself, I finally had to like really journal the process. And I go through something called the stack, which most people won't have access to, but it's really just questioning all these things that are going on in your journal. That's all it is. Right. And for me, it was looking at why am I being unproductive? And it came down to, cause I delegated. Okay. So like, what can I fill that time with? And really just identifying everything. And then once you identify it, you can go, okay, if I can do this, I can make that, that North star, that, that big goal even bigger, even further and further forward. Right. And so that's what I would suggest. Set a big ass fucking target. I mean, we have like the impossible game target, like we've talked about with uh, the mentor guys and stuff. And, and essentially that's like at the end of the year, this is where I'm going to be with every single area of my life. Um, and it's something that we're going to talk about as a team next week. I said on the meeting last week or the week before, whenever that meeting was basically like everybody start thinking about this. Cause yep. I want to help you get to that, yep. but it's setting a target that's so big. It kind of makes you nervous, kind of freaks you out, kind of, you, you kind of think it's I'm impossible. at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you reverse engineer that and you create a logical comparison. And what I did is I set these targets and at first I'm like, there's no way I can achieve that. But then I was like, okay, who has achieved that? And I look at that person and, and normally I would say don't compare yourself to people, but I look at the people that have achieved that and then I compare myself in a way to show myself that actually they're no better than me, yeah. right? And if, if you're not... If you can find that level of confidence in yourself, which most people should, you can really identify that they're just a normal person too. There's no reason I can't do that. And then all of a sudden that impossible goal isn't impossible anymore. It's just really hard. Yeah. And really hard is great. Like that's going to push you. And then you reverse engineer it and you set the, you know, the habits and the action steps in place to get there. And once you have that big ass target, my next recommendation is, is hire a coach. I think number one, a coach is going to keep you accountable to get there. Number two, they're going to help you reverse engineer and create the systems and structure to get there as well. Same reason why like, I'm going to help the team do that is because I want to coach the team on how to do that. It's why I have a mentor. It's why I mentor people. It's, it's more than just saying what you're going to achieve. It's, it's understanding the direct path to achieving it, yeah, right? And how to do it. Um, and what to avoid because yeah. you got to find somebody who's done it before, right? What steps can I avoid along the way? That's why I have Andres. He's done way more than me. He's been alive longer than me. He's been married longer than me. He's ran more businesses than me. It's like, Perfect. Tell me what you fucked up and everywhere you fail so I can avoid those failures and learn try how to, to do avoid. it better. Try to avoid. For sure. Make my own failures, yep. you know, and then the person beneath me, I'll teach them the failures to avoid. But because everybody's going to fail a little bit, but but you have that 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 coach to help you with that, you know, and then you set the structure and you create habit trackers because everything needs habit trackers. Like that's where we're checking off box. I mean, if I look at my phone, I have uh and, and I did this with, with Cody Smith as well. Like we, since we're leading a, a crew of guys together, we created 90 day outcomes. I obviously ran through them with my mentor, but then him and I came together and was like, let's share them because then I know where you're going, you know where I'm going and we can kind of push each other to do it. And so I shared my notes with him. He shared his with my, me and like, I have checklists broken down. So like for my body, even for this quarter, right? So we have the impossible game and then the quarterly goal, but it's like my habit tracker for these. Okay, so I said I was gonna do eight unique date nights, right? We have 12 weeks. That means I have four weeks within this three month period to not do anything elaborate, which basically means I can still do like wine and cheese or just kick it or whatever. But eight of them have to be different, have to be unique, have to be out to dinner. I have to get a babysitter. So I literally, no shit, 
created a fucking table on a Google Doc and like broke down like the week, the date, where we're going, who's babysitting, when we're staying at home, what we're doing. I had to order some shit uh, from Amazon to like set up certain things for the next three months, but I had to plan it out because I had to show somebody like I'm accountable to this. This is going to happen. And then I have fucking check boxes yeah. in my notes. Date one, check. Date Sounds two, like check. Pretty extreme for date nights. It's very extreme. Yeah. But if I don't do that, I just say I'm going to do date nights and then the week comes and I'm like, oh, let's just get some wine and cheese. Yeah. And then week after week after week, we do the same thing, which yeah. I love, but it's like the whole idea of dating your wife is like trying to recreate experiences that you usually only do with somebody who is brand, brand new, new, you know? Yeah. Um, but I created those. I have a, I have a goal for um, my health and it's, it goes beyond just the mic training all that. It's like doctor appointment. Yeah. dentist appointment because I haven't done those in a long time massage Cairo I have a certain amount in the next three months that I want to do and I have check boxes yeah. so you have these habit trackers and it's like okay what are the actions what are the steps have those like weekly monthly targets that you're checking boxes off because when you check the box off it feels fucking good and then you have them for a daily so I have my daily tasks and habits right um we call it the code but it's I mean it's essentially you know greens drink fitness uh read uh, journal, meditate, like all the basics shit, you know, but those keep me aligned with my end goal. And I check those boxes every day. So I think setting a big ass target, having a reverse engineered process to where you know exactly how to get there, getting a coach, to keep you accountable, and then creating this habit tracker on a daily, weekly, monthly basis so that you're checking off boxes and you're just getting shit done. And ultimately you have to just push yourself, you know, just challenge yourself because some stuff's not going to be easy, but the easy stuff, I just shared a quote from Joe Rogan, and it said, uh, one of the uh, most interesting lessons, I'm just going to read it because I literally just shared it. It was on that stoic reflections Instagram, oh, yeah. which I really like. Um, the most fascinating lesson I've learned about life is that struggle is good, which is true. I mean, it's, it's basically another way of saying when you do hard shit, you learn a lot of lessons and it makes you stronger. It makes you tougher. It makes you more intelligent. It makes you more resilient. Everybody who is successful has gone through struggle and it's because of that struggle that they're successful. You know, he, he had a really good thing that he was talking about on his podcast that I related to because he, he talks about his past and, you know, before he was who he was, he got into a lot of trouble, a lot of fighting, some different things. And when he had daughters, he was like, I'm trying to shelter them from everything, but it's so hard because those struggles and those hard things I went through and the fuck ups I made are what made me the man I am today and gave me the empathy and the compassion and the intelligence and the drive that I have today. So it's like shielding your loved ones from that so they don't have to experience the tough stuff, but like knowing that you could be robbing them of lessons that will make them into who they are. Totally. You know? um, and, it, and essentially that's what it is, right? So, I mean- being in a rut, like like I said, if you have a big goal and it's really, really meaningful for you, like you really have a true meaning why you're doing it, that's step one, right? Yeah. That's going to give you some drive in itself. A coach to keep you accountable and hold you to a higher standard, that's going to keep you consistent. Then having habit trackers to push yourself every day, make sure you have your finger on the pulse and it's like a daily reminder of like, I'm doing the fucking work and it's a compound effect, right? I, I posted this yesterday. Uh, starting something new is very difficult, but continuing something you're already doing is not difficult, right? So use the momentum. Like getting started in this is tough, but the key is avoiding the rut. So like getting out of the rut is going to be difficult and it's going to require you to push, but just know that as soon as you get out of that rough and you st uh, rut and you start checking the boxes, you have momentum and that momentum will just carry you because it's fuel. You know what I mean? It makes it way fucking easier. Totally. So that's my little rant on getting out of rut. Love it. Yeah. Dude, I'm excited to hear, um, you know, the teams and possible goals. Mm -hmm.
And I've already been talking to a few of them about it. Like, um, and it's cool for me because like some of them are financial, obviously they're like, Hey, this is what I want to be able to bring home for myself, my family and like my future. And it's like, dope. Cause that pushes me Yeah, because it's up to me to make sure you get there. So, you know, but it'll be good. I'm excited. To an extent. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. All right. Um, we got one more and it is from anonymous again. Uh, says I am 27, five foot, two inches. I've worked out consistently for about 10 years. During the last few years, I've slowly gained five pounds, and I am 125 pounds today. I have a relatively large amount of muscle for a female, and overall, I'm happy with my performance in the gym. But I'd feel more confident leaning out just a little bit more. However, I don't want to cut just to eventually gain it back. Knowing my body has a natural weight set point, is it possible to lower the set point? For example, if the set point is 125 pounds right now, could it ever become 120? So 120 is mainta- maintainable without biofeedback issues. That's a really good question. Um, there is very limited research on the body. Uh, there's two things. There's the body fat set point theory, and there's the body weight settling theory. The body weight selling, I mean, they're very, very similar, right? But the body fat set point theory is this theory that you have a set amount of body fat that your body is is comfortable at, and it's going to kind of resort back to there. The best way to describe both of these, they're, they're slightly different. The body settling, the body weight settling is, is more about a weight. And that means your, your metabolism and your bone structure and all that kind of stuff support a certain amount of weight, which I subscribe to more so because I've seen people recomp because here's the thing is if it's a body settling point like I know for a fact my body loves to hover around 170 but I've seen myself go through bulks and get up to 185 and then cut back down to 170 and be leaner than I was last time at 170 why because I have less body fat more muscle but my body has a tough time getting below 170 it's just what it is but I can be leaner at that point if I do things over time properly right I have to cut beyond that to get really lean and then I have to like lean gain this is why bodybuilding like the the cutting and bulking to an extent like doing it the right way is actually really helpful for this I thought I thought you like maintained right at like 167 168 Mm -mm, I'm 175 right now damn yeah um, so usually I used to, I mean, but that's uh, like, and that's the hard part about body weight settling theory is I, I believe it's a range. Gotcha. So most people will say like, so for me, it's probably like 168 to 172 getting above 172. It, you know, I have to diligently put on muscle and stuff, which I haven't put on as much muscle and been so diligent about it as I was not that long ago, just a couple years ago. And that kind of threw my body selling point for yeah. a loop because I was this lean at 170 uh, before that. And that was where I would sit at is like between 168, and 172. Now it's kind of hard for me to get below 175. I actually have to like cut, which is crazy, but I'm not fat. Like I'm, I'm not as lean as I could be, but I'm definitely pretty lean for the average person. Body fat set point theory is the theory that where my body fat is at right now is where my body feels comfortable to be. Okay. Now I agree with that to an extent. And the way to look at this is like a thermostat. So if you have AC and a heater, I've used this before as a metabolism uh, kind of analogy. And that's essentially what this is, right? right? It's, your, it's your metabolic rate and your metabolism adjusting things to keep you at a certain body fat level or a certain weight. Um, if you set your temperature at 69 degrees, if it gets too hot, AC kicks on, brings it back down. If it gets too cold, heat kicks on, brings it back up. So it's kind of keeping you at that 69. That's kind of the way your body works. Mm. You have a set point and it's trying to keep you there. You put on a little bit of fat, your energy expenditure is going to ramp up. So that you're going to walk nice more, you're going to sleep deeper, you're going to um, utilize the calories more effectively and efficiently subconsciously, 
right? Through talking, walking, fidgeting, even like healing, like everything, your, your digestion, everything's just going to ramp up a little bit to bring you back down to that weight that you're comfortable at. If you cut, your body's going to fight you to try to bring you back up by slowing you down. So that's why we track neat. That's why we look at sleep. That's why we look at biofeedback because when you start dieting and your body's like, no, 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 I want you at that higher weight because that's our set point. Your body is essentially slowing down all the things that you do in order to burn calories for women, menstrual cycle for men, testosterone, for everybody, stress and sex hormones in general, right? Metabolic hormones. Then your neat slows down, how much you walk, step, blink, all that kind of shit. So, and I would even say your performance in the gym slows down a little bit, right? You have less energy. You're not going to perform as hard. You're not going to burn as many calories. That's just part of it. It's metabolic adaptation. Now, there was another research study that just recently came out and it was a follow-up of a, an old metabolic uh, study after six years. So it's a six-year follow-up and they still had 14 out of 16 of the participants, which is nuts. To be able to follow up with 14 out of the 16 people six years later and still be able to have data on them. What was the study again? Uh, I can't remember the name. I oh, just listened to this literally yesterday in Mass Research Review from Eric Trexler. He was the one that reviewed it. <laughs> Doesn't say much about your memory, bro. What's that? Doesn't say much about your memory. I know. <laughs> no shit. Listen to it this morning. Um, I don't know. That, well, when you listen to, so they have a title uh, for their well, I just, review. I'm, I was just wondering about the study. What did they yeah. do? What were they testing? Yeah. So I, I'll. I think I still have it pulled up on my phone. What were they testing? They were just. They were looking at metabolic uh, adaptation. Okay. Yeah. So okay. looking at metabolic adaptation, um, and uh, was it? It might be this one: metabolic phenotypes, weight regulation, and reverse dieting. That's what they called it, but. Um, this might be the study, yeah, so reduced adaptive thermogenesis during ac acute protein imbalanced overfeeding is a metabolic hallmark of the human thrifty phenotype by Halstein et al. That's why I don't remember the titles, even after a day, because that is quite the title. Um, but I believe this is the study. He, he reviews quite a bit of uh, the, like me metabolism and metabolic adaptation type research. That's what his kind of thing is, Eric Trexler, um, who we've had on the podcast. Um, but that is, uh, oh, wait, this might be the study. It's one of these, Energy Compensation and Metabolic Adaptation, The Biggest Loser Study Reinterpreted by Kevin Hall. There we go. That's what it is. It's this one. Um, so, because I was reading, I was digging into Mass Research Review. If you're a coach and you're not subscribed to Mass Research Review, I have no affiliation with them, so I get nothing out of this, but you probably should be. It's a really, really good resource for coaches. Um, but... They did a follow-up, and they actually showed that metabolic adaptation actually wasn't a bad thing at all. So the people who had the biggest markers of metabolic adaptation also had the greatest success, which makes sense because if you lose a lot of weight, you're going to have the highest rate of metabolic adaptation mm -hmm. because your body weight changed the most. It's the people who are able to get through that who are the most successful in a diet. So six years later, when you look at it and you say, oh, you had the most metabolic adaptation, but you're completely healthy. It's just that you're at a lighter body weight now because that was your goal. Six years later, you sustained it, which means you had the biggest degree of metabolic adaptation over the years, which again, people, when we said metabolic damage, people thought it was a bad thing. But if we look at it, it's like, it's just because your metabolism is adapted to your new body set point. So you almost have to get through metabolic adaptation successfully and at a high degree in order to reset that set point that this person's after, right? And to keep that thermostat at a lower setting to get that set point from 69 degrees down to 67 or whatever you want. Now... I think that the body fat settling theory, I think it's wrong from a theory perspective because the theory is that each individual has their own set point, mm. which I don't agree with because there's people that will say, and maybe it is true, but I think it's more universal than it is individual. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of people who will say like, oh, this is just my body fat set point. And I'm like, no, your, 
40 pounds overweight, I promise your body doesn't want to be there. It's unhealthy. There's no way that your body is like, nah, this is where I'm best. Now, if you get completely shredded and you're like skin and bones, that's not healthy either. Or if you're getting on stage, we know that testosterone, estrogen, cortisol, progesterone, all these hormones are all fucked up when you get on stage because you're so lean because they bind to fat tissue. So that individual isn't healthy either. That's not your set point, even if you want it to be because you like being shredded. The set point is most likely the same within a percentage or two for everybody. I might be at that point because I think I'm at a place where I'm not shredded. I would like to be leaner than this, but I'm also really healthy. Mm -hmm. Like I'm in a good, healthy position. I just want to be leaner for aesthetic purposes. So when I think of body fat set point theory, I think that everybody is universally pretty similar. Like all women and all men, typically there is a body fat level that most people should be at in order to be healthy. And it's going to be within one or 2%. So let's say that's for men, 12%. You're going to be between 10 and 14% Mm. in order to be like really healthy. You know, Um, women, I, I I can't remember the averages for women. It's closer to 20%. But like point is, is we all have that body weight settling theory, I think is more individual and more accurate because I think everybody's body has become comfortable living at a certain place. Like I said, my body is most comfortable at about 170 pounds. But when I graduated high school and I started training, I was two, 205, 210. I would have told you then that my genetics suck and that I, that was my body settling point. But it's just because I hadn't gone past that yet. Once I lost the weight and I sustained it, my body settling point changed. And over time, you can change it, but it requires building muscle and burning fat. So if my body is most comfortable at 170, in order for me to be ideally what I want aesthetically and keep my body where it feels best, I'm going to have to spend some time building muscle and then spend some more time cutting fat to stay at about that and recomp. Even if it's not simultaneous, recomp over the course of two years or whatever. Um, So... Not going to give you a, a very, very specific answer to your question maybe, but it's my thoughts on it and, and the what I think between body fat set point and body weight settling theory and what's more accurate, how you can potentially change it. There um, it is. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's ultimately what it is. Yeah. So there you go. Good. That's awesome, man. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up for this episode today. Um, any... Maybe on the next episode. Yeah. Uh, leave us a five-star rating review on Spotify. I have to remind everybody of this. Uh, Spotify is now doing reviews. They haven't done reviews ever until now. This is like brand new apparently. Somebody informed me of this. Um, So if you listen to us on Spotify, I know I do. That's where I listen to all podcasts. Go leave us a five-star rating review. If you really like the podcast and you haven't done iTunes, do it on both because we would appreciate it. And uh, we'll keep coming out with great content. We'll, uh, We'll catch you guys next time.